Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6, and I'll read some of these things that are on insurance statements while you turn there. These are accident reports uh, filed with insurance companies. Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I don't have. This is statements on, from, filed by insurance. I, this has got to be some funny stuff if you see so. I collided with a stationary truck coming the other way. A pedestrian hit me and went under my car. <laughs> the guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. <laughs> In my attempt to kill a fly, I drove into a telephone pole. <laughs> I was on my way to the doctor's with rear end trouble <laughs> when my universal joint gave way, causing me to have an accident. <laughs> I find that one amusing. <laughs> to avoid hitting the bumper of the car in front of me, I struck the pedestrian. <laughs> As I approached the intersection, a stop sign suddenly appeared in a place where no stop sign had ever appeared before. I was unable, I was unable to stop in time to avoid the accident. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to read this last one, and then we'll leave it alone. The indirect cause of this accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're talking about, we've been talking about, we actually got a little bit, uh, I, side, I was telling Dale before the service, I sidetracked myself because I got into the unpardonable sin or what that is, or we call it reprobate or apostate. And so um, I'm actually, I think I'm going to actually separate like three or four of these messages out of uh, the epistles of light and love. Um, because it's, it's really taken a little bit of a side journey here, but we needed to do it, and it's been good. I've had good feedback from people on it, and it helped establish some things for me um, on what I believe on these things and just give a firmer foundation to what you believe. How many of you ever have like, looked at some subjects in the Bible and you're like, I don't know, I'm confused about that, you know? Um, those are the verses that you kind of read over real quick and then move on to something you know you know, or books that you avoid reading. Um, it takes effort to dig it out, and mining, thing, mining the Word of God out can be difficult. Now, what I mean by that is it's not just some sort of self-effort thing, but it takes discipline on our part to look at the Scripture, look at the Scripture, and apply thought to what God's saying, and then the Holy Spirit gives us understanding in that. Do you understand what I mean by that? Because you, how many realize this? You cannot give yourself a revelation. You know, people think I'm going to fast until I have a vision. You can't do that. That's what cultures do. Other, other religions and cultures do. Native Americans have done that in past with some of the stuff that they do. You know, like a sweat lodge type thing or something like that. Or they're going to, they're going to go out and, you know, put themselves in a, in a state where they have an experience. Christians are not supposed to do that. But there are Christians that treat fasting that way. 
and they treat some of the things they think, well, I'm just going to, uh, I'm just going to fast myself over into this state. That is not how the gifts of the Spirit operate. The gifts of the Spirit operate as the Spirit wills. I can deny my flesh and put my flesh under and open myself up to God. And if he chooses to speak to me in that way, he can. So it's not, we're, we're not against, obviously, supernatural, spectacular, or supernatural things, whatever you want to call it. That's not, the, that's not the issue. It's just that we are not just choosing to do that. They're as the Spirit wills. We make ourselves available to God. We seek God, and then he speaks to us. How he chooses to do that is up to him. And so when it comes to uh, truths, certain truths, it takes time. It takes effort to, to dig those things out, think about them, look at the Scripture, study the Scripture, go over it again and again and again. And there's no way around this. You're, it's, it just takes time. It just takes time. And uh, sometimes I think in uh, uh, Pentecostal circles, we want somebody to lay hands on us and make it happen. Do you know that's not spiritual growth? Do you know spiritual growth doesn't happen in Holy Ghost meetings? It doesn't. Now, you'll gain understanding, and there, there are things that are necessary for our spiritual walk that happen in that, in that way. But sometimes as Christians, we get addicted to emotions. And spirituality is a lot like agape. You say, what do you mean by that? It's just walking in love. The highest level of spirituality is not dreams and visions. It's walking in love. In fact, any old baby Christian can have a dream or a vision. But it takes a real man or woman of God who's strong and mature to walk in agape love. And that's true strength and true stability. I'm talking about in the spirit. Do you know First John talks about walking in the spirit? You know what they're talking about? Walking in love. It isn't tongues and interpretation. It isn't dreams, visions, and prophetic words. And you know I'm not against any of those things. Of course we believe in those things. But true spiritual maturity is walking in love. That's what it is. It's not holding a grudge or an offense against somebody. It's treating somebody with dignity and respect, even though their character is low, yours remains the same because your standard is Christ, and you treat them the same no matter how they treat you. That is strength, and that is maturity. And so in order to get to that place, you know, it's like, and we use this analogy, or I use this analogy a lot, and, and it needs to be used. You know, everybody in here has the same amount of muscles, unless you've had one removed. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Unless you're missing a muscle or something that, you know, it's some surgical thing or medical thing. But everybody in here has the same amount of muscles, but we're not all bodybuilders. But we all have the same potential. We do. And spiritually, it's the exact same way. We all have the same potential. We choose, we actually choose, you know, spiritual maturity requires what? Personal responsibility, right? We actually choose, we have a, we have a, we have a very heavy uh, influence on the level of maturity that we reach in our own individual lives. And so that's just a reality and we need to realize that. So when it comes to difficult, you know, we shouldn't, um, you know, you don't want to make people choke uh, spiritually, you know, so to speak, choke to death. You don't want to go beyond where... Um, where people are at, but the Lord really has allowed us to go into some things that I probably just in the natural wouldn't have picked, 
Might, might not even a thought we could have. So it's, it's impressive to me that uh, we're able to discuss this subject and still not have things fall apart for people. Even though we've had some moments where people are like, well, what about this and what about this? Which is not a bad thing because that's good that you're thinking. You know, I know some people don't, some ministers or some groups don't want Christians to think. You know, like years ago, I don't know if it's this way. I heard Jesse Duplantis say this years ago in the Catholic Church. They say, don't read the Bible. You'll go crazy. You know what I mean? <laughs> Actually, you'll go sane. You know, and there, there, has been, there has been through the years groups of people that basically have said, don't read the Bible because I need to tell you what it says. Right? You know, you realize this. People say, well... Revelation is progressive. It is if you stay in it, but, it, but you know that the world can actually turn to where there's less revelation? Think about this. We have the Reformation. Do you know what? You know how the Lutheran church started? Luther got a revelation that you're born again by grace through faith. Now, how far does a culture have to digress biblically to get all the way away from what we consider simple? but yet people groups can do it. Why? They just forget. They, they don't listen. They rebel. And it doesn't take long for a group to just forget where things were and where they could be or where they actually were. And then they make up their own stuff as they go. So there's all these things. And we, we have to, we're required to think. We're actually required to know. We're required to study. And we're required to use our faith in relationship with the Lord to receive truth and revelation. And it's not always easy. In fact, it requires work. But like anything in life, who are the most rewarded? Who are the most rewarded? You, you think about it. If you want the maximum results, what does it require? Discipline, effort, right? You have to, what do professional athletes do? They have to cut certain things out and implement certain disciplines and then not get off track. And they focus on one thing. And so if we do that in our relationship with the Lord, it works just like it's supposed to. How many know God's doing his part? Yeah. Amen. And so don't, don't be, don't, don't, uh, don't, 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 if you don't get it, don't give up. <laughs> All right? Don't quit. If, if, you're, if you're like, well, I mean, that was pretty good, but I don't know if that's for me, it's for you. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep learning. Keep developing. Even if you don't see something the way you think you should, say, Lord, I thank you that you're showing me. All right? And as you do that, you'll continue to uh, develop spiritually. There are many things that I understand now 20... Uh, what, 26 years later after being giving my life to the Lord that I didn't understand then, but I didn't give up. I didn't quit. You know, there are times, and this is just the way it is, you, you have to make your body read the Bible. <laughs> it would rather watch something and be entertained. You have to, do you know you have to make your brain think some people are like, really? Yeah, you should try it. You... <laughs> okay, maybe that's a little mean. All right, so in other words, your brain, you can, you can focus 
and learn. Don't ever say you can't learn it. That's not true. You can. You are in control of your thinking. Now, you may have given control over to someone else or something else, but you're still in control of your thinking. And your, your brain is like a computer. You can reprogram it. It can be done. It's been proven scientifically now. So we were in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. And uh, this is what it says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? We're talking about uh, some of the passages of Scripture that people use to condemn Christians that have sin issues in their life or things that they're growing out of and developing out of. And so we're annihilating the idea that uh, if you basically... <laughs> This is a wild thought to me. But if you do something you're not supposed to, you have to get born again again. Uh, we're, tr we're working on bringing balance to understanding our salvation. We said this before. There's no such thing as losing your salvation. There's not even a scripture that even talks about that. I mean, the idea of losing your salvation. So when, when most people think about that, they think, when, when I think of losing something, you know, think about, uh, husbands, think about your wife misplacing their phone and them saying, call it, call it, I lost my phone. I lost my phone. You're not going to do that. You're not going to just misplace your salvation one day. Like, I don't know where it went. Oh, I, I, you know, and you're not going to slip on a banana peel or, you know, uh, 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 do something that you're not supposed to do, act in the flesh, sin in some way, and all of a sudden God's like, oh, it's over. I mean, what, look what he went through to get you. Why is he looking to get rid of you? But people preach God that way. He's not that way. God is a redeemer. He is slow to wrath. He is, he is great in patience and mercy. In fact, he so doesn't like judgment and wrath. The Bible actually says in Ezekiel that he doesn't take any pleasure in it. He doesn't at all. So he doesn't like it even when, uh, I'll put it to you like this, he didn't even want Hitler to go to hell. Now, people don't like that because we're self-righteous. We like to think we're better than that person without Christ. Nope. You're just the same. People say, oh, I would never do that. It, you've already done it. It's lived inside of you before you were saved. Sin is one of those things that's there and God doesn't look down and he goes, he doesn't look down and he goes, well, they didn't exactly act out everything they did, but if it lives in your heart, it's there. Does that make sense? So that's why we needed a savior. If sin wasn't a big deal, why did Jesus have to pay such a high price? Do you see that? And so we're not making light of sin in that sense. Sin is terrible, it's horrible. But we are making heavy of God's work in redeeming us. We're adding substance and understanding to the reality of what Jesus did in accomplishing our salvation. Because what he has done is amazing. And it is complete and it is thorough and we could never just slip and lose it. And even for those that have rebelled, and we'll get to this at the end of this, even for those that have rebelled against the Lord and maybe turned their back on him, he still is doing everything he can to make sure that they end up with him in heaven.
And I will say this, it is, it, uh, uh, the idea of somebody that there's this group of people out there that are going to, uh, or some large group that are somehow going to miss heaven, I don't believe it at all. I mean, I'm talking about Christians that have backslid. I believe they'll shorten their life here and get there quicker. But I do not believe that God is just looking for ways to send people to hell. I believe it's the opposite. He's doing everything he can to bring them into his presence. And we all should say amen. Because the reality is, we need that salvation. Amen? So we see this here, and Paul is saying this. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither will fornicators, nor, adult, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And verse 11 uh, clears up whether this is written uh, to, to, uh, specifically about Christians. And Paul says this, and such were some of you. But you were washed. So none of those sins are the unpardonable sins. You know, there are people that love to use this verse to condemn homosexual activity and homosexuals. And I understand where they're coming from. The problem that I have with it, and we addressed this last Wednesday, is they, they, they don't even consider the rest of the verses. They pull that one thing out, or they say the drunkard, the drunkard, it's the drunkard, the drunkard, and yet these are people that have stolen from people, and it says thieves right here. I'm talking about stolen after they were saved. But they love to condemn a Christian, somebody who's given their life to the Lord, who maybe has sinned in the area of homosexuality, in the area of uh, adultery, or in the area of alcohol, but they'll just forget about the rest of it down to the reveler. I love the way the Lord wrote this out because, you know, we'd be in trouble if it was only those first few verses. I mean, they might actually have something to stand on. Now, let's do this. Paul said some of them, he said this, he said, and such were some of you. So that means there's a group of people here that have given their heart to the Lord. He said, but you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Remember, we're talking about the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God. Now, if you've committed an act that you shouldn't have in sin after you were saved, what do you need to do? 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9 was not written so you could sin. If you read 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, we wrote this so you don't sin. But if you do, you have a what? advocate with the thank god you got an advocate come on thank god i have an advocate <laughs> right none of us are getting in without an advocate we're all getting in because of the advocate and our faith in him not because of our perfect actions all right so he he goes down and he says this is what some of you were now let's think about this okay um, I want to read Andrew Womack's commentary on this concerning these verses. And I want you to hear this. You're not going to be able to write all this down, so don't try. But you can, if you want to write it all down, you can go back and watch the video later and pause me. Write a little bit, pause. Write a little bit, pause. You know, you can do that. <laughs> Paul placed an emphasis on the word were. This is verse 11. He was contrasting their previous condition with their current righteous position in Christ. Was this because they ceased committing all these sins? No. Shall we prove it? Let's prove it. 
Let's prove it in the scripture, how about? All right? Paul had just dealt with a man who was living in open incest. 1 Corinthians 5.1. That's before 1 Corinthians 6.9, just in case, or 6.11, just in case you didn't know. While, while Paul did instruct the Christians at Corinth to discipline this man, he did not treat him as an unbeliever. It's a good thought, huh? Is it, these truths have to settle in us because we need to understand. Paul didn't say it was okay what he was doing. He called it sin, but did he say it was the sin unto death? No. Well, you know, in our mind, we think incest might be the sin unto death. It's not. It's not great. It's not good at all, but it's not the sin unto death. Okay, now watch this. Instead, in 2 Corinthians, he told the church to forgive that man and receive him back into the fellowship of the believers. This was in 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11. Obviously, they took him back because he had what? He had repented. Now, did his sin cause him to be kicked out of the church? It did. The physical meeting of the church. Now, that sin could have, if he would have followed that, he could have made a decision to reject Christ. But what did Paul do? He said, I've turned such a one over to who? That his, his flesh would be punished, but his soul would be saved. He didn't say, I turned, we disciplined him and we turned him over to Satan so he can go to hell, that filthy sinner. Did he say that? No. But that's what a lot of people in the church would say. That's not what he said. It's not what he taught. It's not what the Holy Ghost said. It's not what the Word of God says. They turned him over to Satan. Why did the, why did, this was, see, now people see this, they think, well, you know, uh, and this was a gentleman who understood what he was doing. He knew what he was doing was wrong. He was in a place of understanding. He knew he had committed a sin. So what did the church do? Now, was he unsaved when they disciplined him? No. Why did they discipline him? So it wouldn't go to a place that it, of eternity. You see that? Now, that's a deeper thought than most people think. But uh, me and Mike were eating breakfast the other day, and he was talking, we were talking about some of these things, and he mentioned the statement, this is why parents should discipline their kids. How many realize this? It's better for your child to be sent to their room than to prison. Hello! But see, we, Christians, a lot of times, I'm not saying us here, but a lot of times believers don't think this way. They don't think... They think Jesus took their discipline. He didn't. He took your punishment. Jesus will still discipline you. Now, people don't like that. They think, oh, no, we're under grace. We're under grace. Thank God you're under grace, and part of grace is discipline. Let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Because we live in a culture that doesn't like to think outside of emotional thinking. You know, if you tell a homosexual that they're in sin, that they claim they're a Christian, but you tell them you're living in sin, this is wrong. They call that hate speech. They, they say you hate them. 
What is worse? Saying, you can't come here if you're going to continue in this sin. Or letting him continue in it and them ending up in hell. Which is worse? Clarity on this will settle your heart in areas that you've been frustrated in. In dealing with people. Now, the, the ultimate, we'll get to the end of this, but I want you to keep thinking about this. The, they, didn't, they removed him from the gathering. I guess I should say it this way. Was he removed from the church? Technically, no. From the gathering of the believers? Yes, he was removed out. Why? Because the believers then are condoning something within God's holy church that not even the world at that time would even be participating in. Now, that's a little twisted if the church agrees to that. Is it going on today? Yeah. And I, for preaching this, would be called evil, a hater, a harsh person. I don't love. I'm not accepting. I'm not forgiving. I'm not gracious. I'm not merciful. Actually, I'm being extremely gracious, extremely merciful, I am walking in love because I'm speaking truth combined with the nature of God, which is love. And you cannot have love without truth. It cannot exist. You cannot, love is not some floating through the clouds, ooey gooey feeling about people. It's not what it is at all. That's, there's a side to phileo love, which the Bible talks about, but agape love is stable, steady, it never changes. It fixes on the right and goes that direction, no matter what anybody else does. Agape love is unconditional. It's unconditional, what do you mean by that? It extends love no matter what decision you make toward me. Isn't that powerful? It's very powerful. So Paul had to deal with this, right? So, in this very chapter, Paul dealt with Christians taking each other to court and said they were defrauding each other. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 8. This would fit into the category of covetous or possibly extortioners that Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians 6, 10. In the next chapter, Paul talked about adultery. And it is evident from his instructions that some of the Corinthian believers were having trouble in that area. Some of these same Corinthian believers were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Not at the bar. At communion. You know, people say, well, did they drink alcoholic wine or not? Well, hello. <laughs> They're not getting drunk on grape juice. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're getting drunk at communion. And Paul didn't say they weren't saved. Paul would say they're carnal. <laughs> you know, can you imagine that communion service? I better not go there. I have some <laughs> thoughts going through my head right now. <laughs> that would have put them in the drunkard's category. The division in the body that Paul dealt with for the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians would have put many believers in the class of revelers. Guys, we cannot just read a verse and go, suck 
it right out of its context and then go, this is what it is. We have to look at the chapter. We have to look at the context of what is being said. Because if we do that, we're going to end up in confusion. Nobody's, we're not saying we're not born again, but we need to at least be able to put together a rational thought about what we believe. Because when you deal with truth and you express truth in a way that is from a standpoint of understanding who God is and having a general understanding of what the scriptures are saying, people will go, oh, that makes sense. When I was down in Tulsa, I worked at a call center. I worked with more transgenders, lesbians, and homosexuals than most of you probably ever will in your life. Tulsa, Oklahoma has the greatest number. I mean, it's, it's, I shouldn't say the greatest, but it's one of the highest population of homosexual activity in, in America, okay? It, it has a huge culture of it. And I worked with these people. I mean, I worked with guys who dressed like girls. This was before it was popular on TV, and guess what? I had to call them by their whatever name because I was their supervisor. And you say, did you, you know, go around going, I won't call you that in the name of Jesus. No, I just called them whatever they, whatever they wanted to be called, and then I ministered love to them. The thing about getting fired for something like that, and you, you, there's a balance here, is that you don't get to minister to them anymore. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm in this type of culture and these things. And I'm ministering to people. I had one guy come up to me, and he was like, yeah, I used to be a part of a church, but that religion stuff. I said, oh, it's not religion, it's relationship. And he goes, what? And I got him. I hooked him right there. And then he, sat, he wanted to have a conversation about the Lord. I had a supervisor that came to me, and he was like, yeah, I've been talking to this other girl. We had led this Catholic to the Lord. Catholics are the best if you can get them saved. You need them saved and spirit-filled, they're on fire, they already fear God, so boom, they're off like a rocket. You know what I mean? It's great. And we, and, and we had led her to the Lord and, and uh, were able to minister to her, got her spirit-filled, all that stuff. Well, she started sharing with her other supervisor friends, and then they came, one of them came back and wanted to talk to me. So he pretend had a meeting with me. He was my supervisor, so he took me in this back room, and all he wanted to know about was the Lord former heroin addict. His veins were collapsing in his body because of the drug use. And I was able to minister to him. And we almost got busted and fired for it. Because the main boss was in the office next door and he heard us talking. And he came in and, and my supervisor guy looked at me, he goes, well, thanks for that, Sean, go ahead. You can go back to your seat. Okay, yeah, I'm just, <laughs> go back to my seat. <laughs> But see, we need to understand what we believe and what we know so that we can intelligently say, you know what? Let me tell you why God is not, quote unquote, sending you to hell for this sin. The sin that sends people to hell is what? Rejecting Jesus. And people say, well, you have to get them to stop the homosexuality before you can lead them to the Lord. That makes no sense. But people think that way. Why would I do, why, how, 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 how? How can they stop without resurrection within them? Right? They can't. We gotta be careful about this because we need to win the lost. I'm not saying we have to say it's okay. 
I'm not saying we don't call sin, sin. I'm saying we need to be aware of what's being said and we need to keep things within context and we need to have a gracious, salted word on our tongue to win somebody. Come on, how many of you think that I'm just squishy? Like I don't stand for truth at all. <laughs> I'm just a softy. I never, I would never confront anything. <laughs> but see, what is, what is the motivation? Now, I've done this for years on job sites. I've done it for years in every job I've ever been in. I've had managers before they, because they were quitting and I was staying in a place. I had managers pull me back into an area where nobody else was around and look at me. And these were not your, these are not people that are like, you know, your typical, what you'd think Bible school, real church going people. Come and tell me, pull me to the side because it's their, <clears throat> their last particular uh, day with me on the job. And they, in this minute, or this manager looked at me and he said, you have affected my faith more than anybody in my life. And I was 20 years old. Why? It's not because I have a gift to preach. I didn't have a, I wasn't functioning in a pulpit while I was serving tables at El Chico with Jody. <laughs> we were trying to survive. <laughs> no. What was it? What was it? I didn't compromise on truth, but I loved everybody. Some of them hated me. And I worked with, guys, I worked with homosexuals. I mean, I could tell you stories. <clears throat> it didn't bother me. Why would it bother me? I'm sanctified, purified, washed in the blood. I'm under the anointing. I have the resurrection within me. Right? So do you. So do you. Now, you're not going to do it the way I do it, but you'll do it the way you do it. Amen? So therefore, it is easy to see that these Corinthian Christians were totally free from these ungodly, were not, sorry, totally free from these ungodly actions that Paul listed in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Yet they were not considered by Paul to be fornicators, idolaters, etc. anymore. The sins of Christians don't make them sinners any more than the righteous acts of sinners make them righteous. Do you see those sinners? They did a good deed. They're probably going to heaven. No, you're thinking wrong. They ain't. They have to be born again. But did their good deed get them born again? No. Then your bad deed didn't send you to hell. Does that make sense? I'm getting a call <laughs> from somebody from Washington. All right. I'm not going to answer it even though I've watched preachers do that on YouTube. All right, so sin is, a verily, sin is a very deadly thing that even Christians should avoid at all costs, but it does not determine our standing with the Lord. Those who are born, or, born again are not in the flesh, even though they may walk after the flesh at times. Okay? Even though they may walk after the flesh at times. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Who are the people that practice such things? 
those that are unsaved. People that are saved are not practicing these things. Now, they may make a mistake in some areas and miss the mark and sin in these areas. And again, I want to point this out. You have, and I'm not going to go through all the definitions of these because we just don't have time. But the deeds of the flesh are evident. They're adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. We love those. I mean, righteous indignation Christians, religious spirit Christians love those verses to be able to condemn to hell their brother or sister who's struggling in an area that they're, they have overcome or not, or not struggling in. But they forget about, oh, I better go to some of these. I just need to learn to leave things alone, but I can't. Okay, idolatry, they forget about that. They forget about sorcery, and people think sorcery, yeah, well, I'm not really doing any incantations. You'd be surprised at what that word actually means. Hatred. I know a lot of Christians that hate Christians. I've heard people say, I hate that brother. Hate, how? How is that possible? They're walking in the flesh and not in... They're not going to hell because they hated. I know people that um, have had terrible relationships with relatives. They hate them. And I'm talking about Christians. I've watched people go, go sour on, uh, that are believers, and they'll, you'll be talking to them, you're talking about the Lord. Oh, man, this is, yeah, praise God, it's so awesome. And then you get over into a subject about a bad business deal that they had with another Christian, and their whole face, face shifts. Everything about them shifts, and they just go into another realm of not God. I know people, <laughs> I have a, a troll on some of my posts, who loves to vent how much they are hurt by their former pastor. They have unforgiveness. If you, if you, if there's, Brother Hagin used to say this in, 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 to us. He said, when I'm, when I, when I, if I'm in any situation and I feel myself with any ill will toward anybody in the church, he said, I get after it tooth and toenail. That's Texas for get your mouth up to your, you know, how many know tooth and toenail is not easy? Do you understand? Yeah, some people are gagging. <laughs> okay, you know, forget the toenail clippers. I'm just, now this is impossible for me at this point in my life. But, <laughs> you know, in other words, it may be difficult, but you get rid of it. But there are people out there that would say, if you don't do that, then you're going to go to hell when you die because you have that sin in your life. Now, usually they won't do that with hatred, but they'll do it with homosexuals. Where's the balance? There has to be a balance, right? So there's all of these things. And to practice these things, this is somebody who's really going after, this, this is their lifestyle idolatry, I mean, all of these things. There are people that wish they had somebody else's money. Car, wife, kids, job, parents. They'll watch TV shows and be in total idolatry over what somebody else has. Why? I'm talking about Christians. I'm not talking about unsaved people. 
I'm talking about Christians. Are they going to hell? No. No, they're going to experience less of God in this life than they should, but they're still going to heaven. Because how do they get there? Through faith in Jesus. Amen? So hatred, oh man, holding a resentment, uh, a grievance. Well, I just have a grievance with them. I don't really hate them. I just have a grievance. <laughs> a complaint. How many have complained and practiced it for a season? Well, I hope you repented. <laughs> not because you're not going to go to heaven, but because you opened the door to the enemy in your life. Come on, I've complained. I complained last week. It's not right. I know. <laughs> I probably should get less pay. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying here my salvation I didn't wonder if I was going to hell I had my heart go uh, Sean stop it don't do that right but I didn't wonder about my salvation a grudge oh man people that are, have hatred are antagonistic aggressive and harsh just even a grudge. Do you know what hatred means? To hold an offense. Well, I love them, but I don't have to like them. <laughs> if you love like you should, you won't have any ill in your heart toward anybody. Now, I'm not saying they didn't hurt you or something didn't happen, but there's nowhere in Scripture that says we're allowed to stew and hurt. Nowhere. As a believer, I'm talking about as a believer. If you're not saved, totally get it. You don't have any other nature. I get it, right? One of the words here is variance. Variance simply means a disagreement. Now that seems a little strict. Because the end of the Galatians here says they won't inherit the, the kingdom of God. How many had a disagreement with your spouse this week? <laughs> <laughs> just look straight ahead nod say amen I'm sure it's for somebody out there <laughs> emulations <sighs> do you know what emulations are trying to play spiritual king of the mountain you're trying to prove you're more spiritual than everybody else come on Christians Pentecostals? Well, I had five visions last week. Well, I had four. <laughs> I had six. Well, I had 12. Listen, I understand the zeal, but just admit it if you don't have it. <laughs> She's like, I am not going to hell over that one. <laughs> no, we don't lose our salvation over these things. No. You know, people say, well, yeah, I saw in the spirit and I saw this, this, and this. And I'm thinking, sometimes I'm thinking, really? Did you really? Because that's weird. <laughs> I heard from the Lord, and, and we believe in hearing from the Lord. We believe in seeing in the spirit. We believe from, in hearing from God. But guys, 
you're not less of a believer because you didn't see an angel. Sorry. I mean, I'm not really sorry about that, but <laughs> that's not the, there's no, there's no competition there. You know, Brother Hagin saw the Lord nine times. I've never seen him. I'm still going to heaven. My righteousness is just as good as Brother Hagin's because I'm in Christ. It's an attitude that will not cooperate with others unless it gets its own way. Wrath, this is an outward manifestation of inward hatred. Emotional outbursts, explosions of anger. Strife, I love this one. Discord or disharmony, it's a musical term. Have you ever heard uh, an uh, orchestra warming up before they're actually going to play? You know, it's all over the place. That's what some churches sound like in the spirit. Do you know what makes an orchestra effective? Everybody doing their part, following the conductor. Seditions. This means to stand apart as one who rebels and steps away from someone to whom they should, be, should have been loyal. It's separation over non-issues, things blown out of proportion. It is spiritual treason. Heresies, envyings, murders, yeah, well, of course the murderer is going to hell. But not the person that's committing strife. Do you see what I'm saying here? In other words, we need to realize, should we participate in any of these deeds of the flesh? Absolutely not. But if you have, ask for forgiveness. And God's not sending you to hell over that. You're not losing your salvation. I've caused strife. I've caused strife so many times in the church. Not just this one. Others that I've part that had the blessing of having me in their congregation. <laughs> if we don't laugh, we might cry. So I'm just going to move on. Drunkenness, revelings. That simply refers to wild parties. <laughs> I love this. It says, it refers to wild parties, carousing, and brawling, which usually accompanies drunkenness. Hello! <laughs> For those that know. And I love the last part. And such like. Just in case there are any that we didn't cover here. He put ETC, period, at the end. Come on, we're saved by grace through faith. So you say, what do I do with somebody who is living, they're a believer, and they're, or they were a believer in active to the Lord. Now, an unbeliever is a different situation. I'm talking about a believer here. But they're actively living in these things. My goodness, pray for them. You can try their fruit 
and go, ooh, that's not good. You're growing in the wrong spot here. You're, you're feeding flesh. Ooh, that's no, ooh, ooh. And you might have to limit your time with that person. You may even have to separate from them because of what they're living in. If they want to say, well, I can live in homosexuality and still be a Christian. No, you can't. You can't live there. Here's the reason why. Because what will, that, what will deeds of the flesh lead to? They'll lead you away from Jesus, which is death. Now, I'll just say lying. I'll say hatred. I'll say emulations. I'll say division. I'll say strife. All of those things. You understand what I'm saying? What will those things do? They lead you away from the Lord. So what does a good brother or sister in Christ do? We as believers can try the fruit or lifestyles of our fellow believers. It's okay to do that. If somebody is sinning that, and you see, that's sin, you don't go, oh no, it's okay, don't say that. We won't say it's sin, it's not sin. We're gonna confess positive. <laughs> I'll tell you what, some of the places the word of faith message has gotten twisted is amazing to me. No, it's sin, it's wrong. Are we saying they're not a brother or sister in Christ? No. Now, what would the proper thing be to do according to Paul? It would be to go to them and say, you need to quit doing this. You can't live like this. This is not good for you. It's not good for your family. You need to make some adjustments. And I love you, so I'm telling you this. You need to repent. Let's move away from this. You who are spiritual, what? Restore such a one. Do you know why people, you know there are people that are not as spiritual as they think because they won't restore, they won't confront? Whew, okay. We as believers should stay out of pride and address our brothers and sisters when they are living a lifestyle that is not befitting of the resurrection within us. These lifestyles should grieve us. I'm not talking about becoming everybody's conscience. Please don't. I am talking about genuine love for the family of God and that understands what fleshly living can lead to. We saw this in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. We should live very heavy, come on, very heavy on the side of restoration and intercession for the family of God, which includes the ministers. Well, I know about this minister, and they are judged harder than everybody else. People love to quote that verse instead of praying and interceding and seeking God to have a restoration, a repentance take place in that person's life. If we're going to be strong, it takes discipline of ourselves and then obedience to the word. So people say, well, I have, and we, we've had, we've had uh, situations like this, if, if, if there's a group of people that you're, you have family, friends, whatever, relationships that are unsaved, how do you pray for them? You pray that they would see the reality of needing Christ as Lord and Savior. If you have family or friends or coworkers, whatever, they claim they're Christians and you see they're living a life that they shouldn't be, then what do you need to do for them? You need to pray that their eyes will be opened and that they will see and hear the Spirit of God and the Word of God will speak to them and they'll begin to make adjustments in their life. If it gets extreme to where you realize this person is, is headed toward rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ for the desires of the flesh, 
that they're making a choice to reject Jesus and go, no, I don't want you anymore. That's when the church, according to scripture, can move into a place of discipline where that person is then turned over to who? Satan for the destruction of his or her flesh that their soul might be saved in the day of judgment. You see that? Why? God so desires that they be saved that he's willing to allow a shortening of the physical in order to maintain the eternal. Come on, I'm going to say it again. God so desires, he proved it when he gave Jesus. He so desires that a person's eternity be solidified with him, that he's willing to allow a shortening of the temporal, the natural, the flesh, in order that the eternal will not be lost. See, but many people read that verse backwards. They think backwards. They think, well, yeah, God's going to turn them over to their flesh so they can die. You know, and they think God's like in heaven in a rage with lightning bolts in his hands and smoke coming out of his ears. No, he's not. People say, oh, no, I've read about the wrath of God and how it comes. Listen, your idea of the wrath of God naturally and God's actual wrath are two different things completely. Because the wrath of God always works righteousness. But the wrath of man never does. In other words, God has never executed wrath from a place of losing his temper. He never has. God is never out of control. Ever. I'm talking about him. He is never out of control. There is never an intervention for God by the angels in Jesus. Now, God, you're getting a little hot under the collar here. We all need to come around and take deep breaths. No. He is precise. He is accurate. He is perfect in everything that he does. He never misses a step. He has never made a mistake. He will never make a mistake. He's perfect. The most important question for any person is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? The payment for all sins and will you receive him as Lord and Savior? If somebody looks at you and says, yes, I believe, even though they may be living a lifestyle that's not right, if in their heart they're convinced of it, then what do we know we need to move to next? Renewal of the mind, crucifixion of the body. We don't need to get them saved again. We need to lead them down the path. Well, what if they won't go down that path? Then there's a whole other conversation. Right? So let me say this lastly and we'll stop. There may be those who are so far gone in sin that they may, they may seem to be uh, little or almost no ground of hope. There may seem to be almost little or no ground for hope. This is Barnes' commentary. They may have cast off all the restraints of religion, of morality, of decency. They may have disregarded all the counsels of parents and friends. They may be skeptical, sensual, profane. They may be the companions of infidels and of mockers. They may have forsaken the sanctuary and learned to despise the Sabbath. 
They may have been professors of religion and now may have renounced the faith of the gospel altogether in some emotional way. But still, while there is life, it is our duty to pray for them. If peradventure God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, all things are possible with God. And he has reclaimed offenders more hardened probably than any that we have known and has demonstrated that there is no form of depravity which he has not power to subdue. I love this. Let us remember the cases of Manasseh, of Saul of Tarsus, of Augustine, of Bunyan, of Newton, of tens of thousands who have been reclaimed from the vilest forms of iniquity. And then let us never despair of the conversion of any in answer to prayer who may have gone astray as long as they are in this world of probation and hope. Let no parent despair who has, an who has an abandoned son or daughter. Let no wife cease to pray who has a, dis uh, a dissipated husband. How many a prodigal son has come back to fill with happiness an aged parent's heart? How many a dissipated husband has been reformed to give joy again to the wife of his youth and to make a paradise again of his miserable home? In other words, what? Believe God. I mean, prove yourself a man or woman of God. Lay aside your personal feelings and affections and intercede for the one who hates you. Wow. I mean, growth, development, spiritual maturity, integrity to where you are a believer. You are like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You may feel like you're sweating drops of blood, but you're interceding. You're making sure you're moving forward because you understand that your obedience could be the door which with someone else walks through to receive salvation. Now that is strength and spirituality. Amen? Father, we just thank you for your word tonight and your goodness. We bless you. We receive it. Lord, help us be your intercessors, those who will plead the case of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are living in a way that they shouldn't and for those that are lost. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.